welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm David Robertson, and I am joined by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is still in Taiwan. He's still the man. Dan the man, Shriver, what is going on, my friend? Hello, hello, David. Yeah, I'm doing great. Excited to crack the case once and for all and get through these murders at Karlov Manor spoilers. <laughs> yeah, so if you listen to our last podcast, we um, started our way through the main spoilers uh, for this set. We had had a handful of cards in their sort of pre-spoiler. We've basically got um, all of them dumped on us in the course of a week and a half. I think we made it through the ones and twos that had been released so far. There have actually been another couple of two mana cards released in the last couple of days that we're going to take a look at. And then we're going to get up into the more expensive cards, which are more fun, but unfortunately are going to see a lot less play. Yeah, before we get to all those, there's a brand new one drop common that surveils something. If you just give me like 10, 15 minutes, I'll explain to you exactly how this stacks up. <laughs> um, it also has to do something when it's in the graveyard, like spend three mana, exile it from the graveyard to surveil again. Someone on the set design team really understands me. Like, there's a lot of text in all these cards, and a lot of them don't do anything but move stuff between zones, which is like my dream. Like, there's a split card that just like mills three and makes a clue. Like that's that's my perfect cave down card. Doesn't help you win. Doesn't advance any of your strategies. But like three cards from your library, now they're in the graveyard, and you get to like fish out a game object and imagine all the the wondrous things we'll do with that clue. I love this set. I love cards like that, but they're not good. Well, it all hints at possibility, right? Putting cards in the graveyard could generate value. The clue eventually could be a card. Um, yeah. You know, unfortunately, your opponent, like, does stuff, so you don't often have time to accrue all these advantages. I would not have guessed that this would be a graveyard set. It's kind of surprising, but since they're they're using collect evidence, which is actually fairly cool as a take on Delve, fairly cool implementations of using collect evidence as a cost for different cards. And in order to support that, they just happen to have a bunch of, like, random surveil and mill. So it's a very exciting set for me. Not a lot has actually cracked the bar of playability yet on the graveyard front, but I'm glad that they don't consider this space like too dangerous to touch. Yeah, I don't know what the perceptions of the average person are, but um, this set looks to me to be slightly underpowered compared to the last few sets we've had, um, with the exception of, you know, again, a couple of sort of standout cards, but obviously we, we are often wrong <laughs> about these kind of things, but... Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Agreed. All right, so our plan for today is to get through as many as we possibly can. I think we'll get through all of them, at least everything out so far. Before we dive into all that, just your friendly reminder that if you enjoy the program and would like to support what we do, come join the conversation with us in the Faithless Brewing Discord. You can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Make a pledge at any share you like. It can be a dollar a show. And that'll get you access to our wonderful Discord community and just a nice way to show some support. Absolutely. All right. Our first card is Insidious Roots. This is the signpost uncommon. Normally one of those signpost uncommons is actually good enough to build around, at least in standard. I think this might be good enough to build around and even more than standard. So black, green, enchantment. 
Creature tokens you control have tap add one mana of any color. So it turns all your creature tokens, no matter what they are, into Birds of Paradise. And then whenever one or more creature cards leave your graveyard, create an 0-1 green plant creature token. Then put a plus one, plus one counter on each plant you control. Have you ever seen a more beautiful card than this, David? Like, this is everything I want to do. I want to put creature cards into a zone, into the graveyard. I want to take them out of that zone, and then I want to profit somehow. What kind of profit? Zero one plants. Yeah, sure, I'll take that. But they even give you additional power and toughness on all of your plants. <laughs> like, I don't really care about the mana part. I just feel like that, that second ability, we should be able to do that potentially many times a turn, right? Or am I dreaming too big? Well, I think the mana part matters because you have cards that have like one-time usage. I'm specifically thinking of scavenging ooze. Um, and so each of these plants taps to pump itself and all of its friends and make more. Um, yeah, this card just seems crazy. I kept reading it over and over again, like waiting for some kind of once per turn, uh, you know, some kind of side thing. The plants can't block or some weird thing like this just does it all, and you don't have to even do that much. Like, just turn two this, turn three that uh, green-black Planeswalker that minus threes to uh, put a, a creature that, that costs two or less into play. You've already made a, a, a one-two plant. <laughs> you know, you made your own Sylvan Carry added, and you're going to make more every turn. I mean, it, it just seems crazy to me. So before I start dreaming too big, realistically, how much do I need to get out of this card for me to get my mana's worth? Uh, how much mana do I need to generate from this? How many plant tokens do I need to generate with this before this has become like a worthwhile build around? I mean, if you get two tokens out of this, I think this card is awesome. If you print, if you had a two mana sorcery speed card that made a two, three and a one, two, and they both tap for any color, obviously you don't get them right away on turn two, but you, you take my meaning. Like mm -hmm. this card is resistant to removal. It's actually weirdly resistant to graveyard hate. Like, okay, you have hearse in play. How are you stopping this card with your hearse? <laughs> I'm putting I'm putting creatures in my graveyard. You want to exile them? Or I can. That's I mean <laughs> <laughs> That is super slick. That's super, super slick. Uh so the ways to actually stop this from happening would have to be like rest in peace, stone of Eric type replacement effects where they just don't go to the graveyard at all. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, how, how deep down the rabbit hole can we go? Like, can we play Deathrite Shaman? You mentioned Scavenging Ooze. I guess Graveyard Trespasser is safe. Do we want main deck Hearse? Like, how many creatures do we need in the deck? I don't think you can play Hearse. I think I think with this and the three-mana Planeswalker, you're at your limit of cards that aren't creatures. So, like, you have maybe eight or seven if you want to play three Planeswalkers and four of this enchantment. I think everything else has to be a creature with, like, four Thoughtseize. Maybe some number of fatal push. What about using this with the cat oven loop every time the cat comes back that counts as leaving the graveyard? Yeah, it seems probable. You know, we are often saying that cards would be good with the cat oven loop. And then the the maestros who have like sharpened that deck, right? Like uh, <laughs> iron sharpens iron. <laughs> they don't add any of these cards in, right? They didn't play the the black uh, thing that sacks to draw a card. They don't play, you know, the 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 deadly dispute that makes a map. They've got their list. So to add a whole nother color, you have to be showing that it's worth it to do that. Because other than the loop, that deck doesn't actually remove creatures from the graveyard. Mm -hmm. 
True, true. Okay, well, I I don't see the exact home, but it feels like a really strong build around. You know, would support potentially multiple decks. Whether those decks are any good, we'll have to find out. But this is one of the more exciting cards I've seen, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you just imagine a deck that's just like Stitcher Supplier plus this into the three-mana Planeswalker, like... You just have a ton of blockers. You have a ton of cards in your graveyard. You have the ability to remove more cards from your graveyard. You can play a bunch of cards. Like the the two mana O3, the one in a green O3 that taps to make a mana of any color. And that removes a card from your graveyard. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is like an engine unto itself and it's super cheap. Now, it and all of its tokens get exiled by temporary lockdown. So you like, again, you're going to lose to blue-white control. Just It's just is going to crush you so you just have to deal with that but uh other than that this deck is awesome recursion should in theory beat blue white control like it's not like their counter spells exile your cards when when you cast them like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right moving on moving on another two drop ready to get exiled by temporary lockdown this one is translated as expedited inheritance a mythic rare, red-red enchantment. Whenever a creature is dealt damage, its controller may exile that many cards from the top of their library. Until the end of their next turn, they may play those cards. Okay, so this is the unofficial translation. If this is correct, it refers to any creature, controlled by anyone, receiving damage of any kind. Um, we think of burn, first of all, but it seems to even trigger off combat damage like if i attack you block our creatures hit each other and then we both exile cards from the top of our deck which is a drastic change to the rules of magic right and i mean so the creatures still deal damage they'll still kill each other whatever but then this additional trigger will happen um and this is you know symmetric so that's very rare these days they don't print symmetric effects players don't like them people don't have fun so the, the question is, how do we break the symmetry, right? That that becomes the question. Either your deck has lots of damage that you can do to your own creatures. Um, maybe your opponent isn't playing any creatures, right? If, if we think the blue-white control is going to be a, a good deck. Do we get something out of them playing things from exile? Do we get more stuff? You know, you can think of like the, the PNLR. We get an extra thing when we play stuff from exile. Mm. You can think of the uh, Rocco the Chef. I think whenever... Any player plays a land or casts a spell out of um, exile, you get a plus one, plus one counter on a creature and you make a food. Um, you could imagine the one in a white uh, creature that doesn't let your opponent cast spells from anywhere other than their hand. The one, three. I like those ideas. I'm wondering if just the fact that impulsive draw, if, if we call this exile and then play till end of turn, that's so different from actual card draw. I feel like most decks in the metagame just won't actually be able to use it in the same way that you can if you, you built your deck knowing that you have Expedited Inheritance, so you're playing very cheap, proactive stuff all throughout your 60, whereas your opponent, even if this was just like a a Vanguard Avatar rule, it just happening from the beginning of the game automatically, they still couldn't take advantage of it. Their curve is too high or they have too many reactive spells. I'm wondering if like you don't actually have to bother shutting down their side of it. You just... Say, okay, we're just going to play under these conditions and my deck is built to take advantage of it and yours probably isn't. I mean, it's possible. You know, the 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 five mana four four creature that 
kind of does this. I did not see any play, right? So its native ability was not actually powerful enough. Now, five mana is a lot more than two. Which one was that again? Um, It was three red red for a four four. And instead of drawing, you exile the card at the beginning yeah, of weird. your draw step. Yeah. It was, a, it was another version. The original one was a 4-4 that had haste and all your opponent's creatures come into play tapped. It's the same creature name. Yeah, Ur- Urabrask, first of his name. Urabrask. Just yeah. Urabrask. Okay, but this is two, right? So totally different impact on the game. Yeah. Actually supports the kind of mana curve you need to play with this. I'm wondering what happens to your burn spells. Like This is red, so you really don't have that many options for removing their stuff without triggering Expedited Inheritance a bunch of times. On the flip side, those same cards could, in a pinch, burn your own things to draw more cards. Now, that that may sound good, that may sound like Swans of Brynargal, but Swans just sticks around. If you burn your own creature, it will die, and you may or may not actually recoup the cards you spent doing that, because you only get the one turn to play them. So I'm not sure like if we actually want to proactively lightning axe our own creatures to like draw five or if that's like the wrong way to think about a card like this yeah i get the sense this they so they typically build a red mythic enchantment build around uh in every set and they are never good enough and i think this is that version because it's cheap it's a little more intriguing Mm -hmm. Uh, as older players we are used to trying to break synergies on stuff like this so i think it's like a worthy um thing to think about and to ponder but i don't think this card is going to get there i do want to point out just because it's like almost a, a pet card of mine marauding raptor is really cool with this since it does damage to your creatures as they come into play oh. so it just basically like generates a ton of uh value for you oh snap okay that's very cool i've also seen people talking about this like playing a bunch of like small creatures then playing like a damage sweeper and then getting like a million cards, right? <laughs> or like milling themselves out and, you know, trying to win the game in that way. That That's an interesting idea that I think is not ever going to ha- actually happen. Yeah, let's not do that. Um, <laughs> all right, maybe that's a good sign that it's time to move on. What's our next card? Hero of the 10th District. One in a white for a human. That is two, three. One in a white... Collect evidence to colon. This becomes a 4-4 human detective with vigilance. And then two and a white. Collect evidence for colon. If this is a detective, this becomes a legendary creature named Chief Inspector Maleva with base power and toughness 5-5 and has other creatures you control have indestructible. So we've had a series of creatures. I think the most recent one was that 3-2 artifact that start as, you know, a reasonably cast or costed, you know, one or two mana creature. Often they have three levels they can get to. This only has two, but it's not just mana. You also have to be exiling cards from your graveyard in order to uh, climb the uh, ranks at this uh, 10th district. To me, this is stone unplayable. I'm curious what your take on it is. As I read this, I'm seeing a 2-mana 2-3, a 4-mana 4-4, a 7-mana 5-5. None of those sound good. These abilities barely impact the board. I mean, I guess... At the seven mana version, paid in installments, granted, it protects your other creatures, but I don't know. Like if, if you ask me to choose a two drop that's like a fat creature, I would choose the the plant fungus, which we skipped last time, but it's just like a one in a green 
star star where star is the number of forests you have. Like that's just a huge two drop. And when I look at the tenth district detective, I just see a large body that costs mana. Well, I think these level up things we can't look at in terms of those straight mana costs in the way that you just did because none of them are attractive then. We would never play any of them. So what should I be looking at then? Well, I think the ability to pay installments is just like has hidden value that we like can't see. I think the real question is how easy it is to collect evidence. If this was just the mana cost, I think this card would be broken. What? Really? I think this is better than any of the other level up creatures and they've all seen significant play, at least in standard. And most of them, you know, in Pioneer, the ones that are legal. Maybe I'm misremembering, but I just thought like figure of destiny, evolve sleeper, just give you a better rate. I mean, I guess they start smaller. I mean, Evolve Sleeper is a one mana, one, one, and then it's a two mana, two, two, basically. This is a two mana, two, three, and then you have to pay two mana to turn Evolve Sleeper into a three, three. This turns it into a four, four. And then Evolve Sleeper is three mana to give it a plus one, plus one counter and pay life and draw a card. This turns into a five, five with a whole other ability that gives indestructible to your whole team. So you're saying that the difference is that this one starts at a reasonable size and then the first jump actually makes it a problem in combat right away. Yes. So I, I think the real thing holding it back, I, I, I think this gets to unplayable, <laughs> what, what you're saying. I just think that the, the real cost is to collect evidence. <laughs> okay. And uh, if it was just the straight mana cost, I actually think this card is very good. Hmm. White does not seem like the kind of color that would be good at collecting evidence, but maybe when we look at the totality of enablers, seated into this set will change our opinion on that yeah i'm trying to think of cards that like obviously if you wanted to play this in humans it, it is not going to be good the human humans does not have cards that naturally go to the graveyard is there like a white black or white red mid-range kind of shell where this could shine a little bit more obviously the one thing that always sticks out to me is this is a coco hit coco is a card that goes to the graveyard in these decks um it collects evidence at either level if you need it to um fable is a card that uh you know fable of the mirror breaker is a card that is played in some of these mid-range decks doesn't seem to have a lot of synergy with this particular card but you make a good point i think i haven't wrapped my head around yet, yet exactly how collect evidence works i think of it as delve like something that i need to like really go out of my way to enable or turn on but you're absolutely right. Just like casting any instant or sorcery puts a card in the graveyard. And if the mana cost is high enough on that card, it may satisfy a big collect evidence number. So collect evidence four doesn't mean I have to like self mill a bunch of times. It just means I need to cast collected company once. And when you put it that way, it doesn't sound so impossible at all. Yeah, we'll have to see. You have to do it twice though. So like doing the first collect evidence two and having to hit your collected company means you don't have fuel for your next one. Um, maybe you just play one of these and just don't worry about like synergy. Just think maybe on rate, this is just fine. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. I think these cards always tend to play out better than we think. All right. I think with that, we move on to the three drops and we start off the threes with a super powerful card. Arch Druid's charm, green, 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 instant three modes. So choose one. Search your library for a creature or land card and reveal it. Put it onto the battlefield tapped if it's a land card. Otherwise, put it into your hand, then shuffle. So that's actually two modes in one. One is like Eladamri's Call, instant speed, tutor creature to your hand. The land ramp mode gets any land, basic or non-basic, puts it directly onto the battlefield tapped. 
So already extremely interesting. Like that could just be a, a rare by itself. But we're not done yet. We've got more modes to come. Mode number two, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. So clean one for one and you get a plus one plus one left over. That one's not a super exciting mode. The last mode, exile target artifact or enchantment. And again, there's that choice. So this is really like a five mode charm if you count modes one and three as two different abilities. It's a stunning amount of flexibility. The mana cost is alarming. Green, green, green at instant speed. That's not a card we've ever seen before outside of like Court of Calling. But man, the utility here is insane. Yeah, I think this is the second best card in the set and I think it's incredibly powerful. I think it's even good in Modern because it exiles the ring. Uh, obviously, Modern has a wide range of lands and creatures it wants to fetch. We can imagine this card <laughs> fetching Valakit or fetching Primeval Titan. Uh, <laughs> Both of those halves are incredible. Um, we can imagine this card being very powerful in standard, but the green, green, green will limit its use. I think this is actually just like the pioneer card. It works so well in a bunch of different ways. First of all, this tutors up Lotus Field <laughs> at instant speed, and every land in that deck makes green. It also exiles the common hate card, right? It also kills Damping Sphere. So you have a card that does both of that. I mean, it's just that's just insane to me. Second of all, because it lets you fetch a non-basic land, you can fetch up whichever half of Castle Garenbrink's Sunken Citadel you don't have. So you get to ramp to six mana very reliably on turn four, right? Mana Elf on turn one, this on turn two, fetch Castle or Sunken Citadel, whichever you don't control. Probably you just play like one Sunken Citadel on your list to tutor with this. And then you get to spend your Sunken Citadel mana into your Castle Garenbrink on turn... Oh no, on turn three? <laughs> Um, you get to, uh, you get to cast a six drop. So uh, yeah, I just, this card is just incredible to me and maybe it's a good thing that card is banned. I, I think this is just a huge boon for, for green decks. So if the card just said three mana instant, search your library for any land, put it on the battlefield tapped, that would already be a very powerful card that we'd never seen before. Sylvan Scrying searches up a land at sorcery speed and puts it in your hand. Expedition map, three mana total, same deal. But this is an instant speed directly into play any land. I mean, that's that's going to be insane. I can't believe that's just like baked into a five mode charm. I mean, turn one elf, turn two archdruid's charm if we're in pioneer. Yeah, if, if you don't want to do the Garen Briggs Sunken Citadel thing, maybe you just get Nykthos. Like there's this new ley line in this set that's green, 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 green. So <laughs> if, you, if you really want to go hard on that... And you want a lot of access to Nykthos, and you have Archdruid's Charm for that. I mean, we, we used to play crap like Elvish Rejuvenator, just trying to hit a specialty land in your top five. This just finds it. Going into Modern, same deal. You can get specialty lands. You can exile Urza Saga. You can exile the Ring. Um, you can tutor up your Primeval Titan. You can tutor up the land that casts Primeval Titan. The fight mode, I don't think will be used that often, but it's just like, it's, there's nothing wrong with that mode at all. It's a perfectly fine mode. It's also just really useful. Like in the green ramp decks now, they don't have a lot of ways to actually kill creatures. So this is just a way to like kill Shieldred with whatever big boom boom you have. Um, so you just, you have an out now to them. It, 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 yeah, I, I don't know. 
it feels like there's a lot of cool because some of these modes are like you say unique by themselves it's wild they incinerated all this design space on one card yeah like you could get rid of the first mode just have the other two on there this card would still be playable it'd actually be really good yeah and then you could have the first mode be its own card and that would also be super unique and, and interesting yeah like they just incinerated multiple cards they could have printed that would be totally playable and put them all together yep <laughs> okay so do you see this more as a supporting player in existing decks or do you think it opens up new brewing possibilities like a, a never before seen deck i mean mono green doesn't really exist anymore so it creates a new mono green i don't know what the best six drop to play is but the fact that you can very reliably do it it has to be a creature um is very interesting to me and i think it goes into lotus field for exactly the reason i said I, I, every land in there makes green except for the the copy land so it's very reasonable that this just always this is in some number and then after board it it hits all their cyborg cards so like maybe it's good blue white's gonna be so good <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that other than that i mean the mana cost is super restrictive so like decks that make green 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 are not that common and once you do that there's only like the best couple things to do so i don't think this actually opens up that much brewing space there's only like a few things that you'll end up getting when you have tutors they actually don't encourage creativity mm. uh, the space actually gets very narrow all right. Well, in that case, we'll move on to more intriguing cards. We've got a couple of rare cases here. Case of the Crimson Pulse, Case of the Ransacked Lab. Case, as we talked about last time, is a new enchantment type that's sort of like a saga. You get something when it ATBs, then you have to meet the condition to solve the case. And once you've done that, you unlock the second mode. Case of the Crimson Pulse, two and a red. When this enters a battlefield, discard a card, then draw two cards. So it's the three mana tormenting voice. That's terrible. However, you solve the case by having no cards in your hand. If that's true, at your end step, the beginning of your end step, the case is now solved, and you then go to solved mode, which says, at the beginning of your upkeep, discard your hand, then draw two cards. That is insanely powerful to me. Um, this triggers every upkeep, if I'm reading this correctly. Once it is solved, you'll be drawing three cards a turn, which, yep. if you think back to our Gira Perori days, I mean, that's, that's a huge draw. <laughs> we gotta drop everything and try, try to draw three cards a turn. Uh, it takes some time to do that, right? You're not gonna solve the case most likely on the first turn you play this. You're just gonna get a pretty terrible Tormenting Voice. Uh, then the next turn, maybe you empty out your hand. And then the turn after that, you reap the rewards. So is that just like too much time or what's your read on this? Well, first of all, this card is terrible in multiples, right? So you're, you're building a deck around it and you want to play four of them. But this card does not easily go to the graveyard unless it's discarded by another case. So you have to also, your deck has just be full of one mana spells, right? It's impossible to get your hand empty by turn four. It's, it basically never happens. No. I mean, I, I've been playing a lot of Pioneer. I don't think I've had an empty hand on turn four ever in the thousands of games I've played. Well, you want this to be the last card you play, right? Or second to last. So it doesn't have to be a turn three play. That's not a great use of turn three. But compare this to, well, Experimental Frenzy. All right, I see what you're saying. This is not going to win the game. Well, the thing is, this replaces itself. So you do want to play this on turn three because... This actually puts two cards in your hand. It, it can't be your last play. <laughs> you have to then play two more things to even hope to trigger it. Is there like a free way to discard cards? Like, 
I mean, if we had like lightning bolt or something where we're, all we're doing is just like pinging our opponent over and over again, and then we just play this, you know, ping our opponent some more, and then like, what if you end up with like a couple extra lands? You can't play them all if you don't have a discard outlet. You just never trigger this. <laughs> some kind of madness deck. Um like a wild mongrel type card, a ravenous bloodseeker, just like a vampire madness. Access to discard whenever you want it. There was a card like that in the last set that gives it to you. I forget what it's called. Uh, Noose Constrictor discards for free. There was some artifact that does it, right? Like a one-mana artifact that taps a discard? Well, Noose Constrictor colon discards, which is what you really need. You want you want to play this and go to zero that turn. Mm, I see. Yeah. All right, Noose Constrictor, sure. And then you're all in, right? And all right, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, you are all in. <laughs> you better hope your opponent doesn't uh, destroy your three-man enchantment. You get to attack with a big news constrictor, too. That's not nothing. <laughs> what about Case of the Ransacked Lab? Two in a blue. Instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. So that's always true. And that's a decent cost reduction effect. To solve this case, you have to cast four or more instant and sorcery spells in one turn. If you pull that off before the end step, the case is solved on your end step, and then from then on, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, draw a card. And that's a huge payoff, and a decent cost reduction on the first ability. Yeah, just like, how do you win? So you're playing, I guess, like ops and stuff, like a bunch of cantrips, and then you're hoping to just draw like a bunch of shocks, and they each draw a card. I'm a little more attracted to this almost in modern because you get to play Metamorphose. Okay. I mean, what is that card? Arcane Melee or something? The one that was a four mana thing that reduces your costs. Um, if it's not a bad ability, it's weird that Opt, Shock, Consider, etc. Like, they, they don't actually benefit from the cost reduction. So cards that cost two mana are like the, the sweet spot for this. It's interesting tension because you don't want to... Hmm. Hmm. Okay. That's why I like Metamorphose so much, right? It replaces itself and it benefits from the reduction, so it actually goes up mana. Right. I think both of these cards are really cool. I think I think they're interesting build arounds. They're interesting like deck building challenges. Especially because the trigger happens at the end step. So you kind of like do all that. So you have to play it, that turns bad, right? So th they're functionally both three mana do nothings. Then turn four, you bend your deck to trigger them, let's say. And let's say we can reasonably do that consistently. We're drawing news constrictor, we're playing our four ops or four shocks, fine. Then we have to wait till the end step again. We have to reset. You know, it's not like Storm where you win that turn. You've, you've cast your four spells. You go to the end step. Okay, now we get benefits on our next turn, right? So there, there's like multiple bad turns in there, not just one bad turn. And already like a three mana do nothing is kind of tough. Turn four, discard your hand somehow, or turn four, like, just cast a bunch of cantrips. Th those are tough turns. Yeah, I think that this is all <laughs> suggesting that we should not be trying these things. Uh, fair enough. Also, like, what if your opponent disenchants this thing or, like, blinks it? Like, Odawara is one of them after you've done all this stuff. You're just like, man, that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I think the way the red one is worded, I think... If you have no hand when you play this, it just draws two. That's kind of cool. Oh, there you go. All right, so this is your red divination right off the bat. <laughs> exactly. All right, David, what's next? 
All right, the Ambitious Falcon, obviously a reference to the Maltese Falcon. This is one blue-blue artifact creature bird, one for flying. Whenever it attacks, gain control of target permanent you own and don't control. And then disguise one blue. When it's turned face up, target opponent gains control of any number of target permanents you own. You draw that many cards. So if you want to play it face down for three mana, the next turn you can flip it up for two. Give them the land that you tapped, let's just say, and then you attack with your falcon, you get that land back, and you basically just, I don't know, played a five mana one four that drew a card. <laughs> <laughs> now you can give any number of permanents, so if for some reason you know this isn't going to die, <laughs> um, you could you know, give your opponent like all your lands or something. <laughs> I don't know if you're casting balance or <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I don't know what to say about this card like i've read it several times trying to figure out what it possibly does i mean it's, it's cool because it's so different and the reason it's so different is because you would never want to do this in a normal game of magic <laughs> nor should you attempt it now you know what it reminds me of is you remember the ice age card despotic scepter it was like a rare artifact I do. Okay. So Despotic Scepter, its only ability is tap to bury a permanent that you own. That's it. Why would you want to do that, right? It's like a, it's a brain teaser. Like it's so different from anything we come to expect. <laughs> but the secret to that card is that it only costs one mana. Like it's hard enough to think of reasons you would want to bury your own permanence. If we're going to make you jump through all those hoops, the least they can do is have the card cost one mana and be somewhat resilient. This Falcon, even if you think of something cool to do with it, it's a three mana one four flyer. Like they can just stop you from doing it so so easily. <laughs> I just don't think you should even consider this. I feel like this fails the despotic scepter test by a huge margin. There's multiple there's multiple permanents we've donated, right, at various points. So I think in EDH this will see a ton of play. Um, but you know, you can donate demonic pact you can donate the six six dude um that has oil counters wish claw talisman is actually kind of cool you can basically just demonic tutor over and over again and uh, that is actually worth doing if you could tell me i would just get to play wish claw talisman and just one mana tap demonic tutor three times that that is insane what are you gonna tutor up an ambitious falcon Maybe. Probably Thoughtseize, so I know if I can activate it next turn and attack with my Falcon. Ah, gosh. I mean, it's just going the Disguise route is so much mana. And I understand that Ward 2 helps. Yeah, I don't think you want to go the Disguise route. I, I I actually just think straight up you need you need to have cards that are naturally going to your opponent. I don't know if there's things that like exchange control. I think there's a few four mana um, like sagas that do that. Humble Defector is a card that goes to your opponent's side. You, uh, the Talisman naturally goes to your opponent's control. You need cards like that. Yeah, I think that's the right way to think about it. And then I further think that if we're going to go that route, the enabler we need is is not a 1-4 for 3. We need an Ice Age Rarer that costs <laughs> 1 that just says tap, gain control of target permanent you own and don't control. Which doesn't... They haven't given us that yet. See, that could be... That... <laughs> This is one of the more unique designs they've ever had, and I will be playing a lot with oh, this card no. to Dan Sugar, no, it sounds like. No. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> we gotta up our Patreon targets this month if that's the case. <laughs> There's a lean times ahead. Moving on to another ambitious combo card. The Crime Novelist. A Goblin Bard. This is a very cute artwork. Two and a red, one three Goblin Bard. Whenever you sacrifice an artifact, put a plus one plus one counter on Crime Novelist and add a red mana. So I have no idea what that ability has to do with writing crime novels. Maybe I'm just like not understanding the flavor. But this suggests combos, right? It's got the whenever and it adds mana, so it should work in combo loops. Top of my head, uh, if you want to play this with Thopter Foundry, Thopter Sword, that works, although you probably would not want to do this. Pioneer, I guess, animation module plus any sack outlet completes a loop with this because animation module yep. triggers on the plus one plus one counters and you add a red to fuel it. I don't know what the third piece of that would be. Mm, there's that white black creature that can sacrifice an artifact or creature to give itself plus one plus one counters. Mm. I think that's the only like reasonably good sack outlet in the whole format. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I'm not in love with those ideas, but I wouldn't rule out the animation module yet. Um, what else does this do? I mean, are there other abilities? Well, if you think of it, it just like turns treasures into super ramp. So if you imagine like you had a card that makes a treasure on turn two, you play this and it doesn't die. Turn four, you could cast, you know, like the four, four dragon that makes a treasure when it comes into play. Now that each treasure sacrifices for three and the dragon makes a treasure every turn. Um and makes a treasure when it gets targeted mm. uh, and when it attacks it's good with blood so the blood functionally cracks for free if you just are like mm-hmm. want to just play it maybe fair it seems like it's not you know fable is a very powerful card so it's hard for me to imagine like a fair deck wanting this over fable maybe just better than like bone crusher giant or the um graveyard trespasser though if you have like maybe you're playing epicure and um Whatever, maybe the um, the synth, the red single mm-hmm. uh, artifact. Mm-hmm. So that naturally has a sack ability that gives you a red back, so you're more likely to be able to cast the card when you make the samurai. Clues sacrifice for just one. I mean, it feels like a card, I agree with you, that you need to play in a combo deck. I just don't see like the the cards that I want to put together with it. Maybe it's just like a hidden arc bomb ravager. Like you put it with that Drake that makes that investigates and play this, and then you just sacrifice artifacts to make a huge thing. I don't know. It's a very interesting card. It seems to like fall just short on all these axes, but yeah, very very surprising card for such that innocuous common uncommon as you note. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if we actually see this card being good. Like if someone builds a combo out of it somewhere, it even lives through stomp. Like it's not that fragile. It's wild that like Bone Crusher Giant is so good. They just had to add three toughness to almost every card now, just so it can be like considered. <laughs> like we don't see hardly any three two that they want us to play. If they want us to try at least try a card, they have to give it three toughness. It's so funny how poor that design was. Well, I mean, it was just too successful, too good at what it does. That's the problem. Um. <laughs> All right, moving on. Mythic Rare, Delny, Streetwise, Lookout, 2 and a white, Legendary Human Scout, 2-2 Creature. Creatures you control with power 2 or less can't be blocked by creatures with power 3 or greater. 
So they, they have skulk functionally. If an ability of a creature you control with power two or less triggers, that ability triggers an additional time. Okay, that's the good stuff, right? That's the very exciting text that is typically gated behind clunky four or five mana artifacts or giant creatures. This happens on a three mana play. So you can potentially just slam this on turn three and immediately get some benefit out of it because it doesn't it doesn't just say enter the battlefield triggers, it's any kind of trigger. So Luminarch Aspirant already in play. That now triggers twice. Now you have to make sure you don't grow the Luminarch too big, otherwise it's no longer eligible for the LD's bonus. Any kind of attack trigger will happen twice. It really makes you think, actually. I haven't really... No exact comparison comes to mind for like this subset of creatures. Yeah, I mean, my first thought was, man, this would be really cool in Soul Sisters because it doubles the lifelink trigger and then it would double the Ajani Pride Maid trigger, so it goes like exponential. The problem is, of course, once you think about it, Ajani's Pride Maid quickly doesn't have two power anymore, <laughs> so it doesn't actually work uh, anymore. Uh, and all those creatures that get pumped by the Soul Sisters actually grow power. That's one of the reasons why Soul Sisters plays them. So, yeah, I love these sort of effects, you know, these uh, these doubling effects. We had, we had Mom in the previous set. We've had a few other variants of it. Three mana for a 2-2 creature with no coming to playability. I mean, we just talked about it. This, this just dies to stomp. We don't play three mana cards that just die to stomp that don't have a coming to playability. Uh, and to your point, it's... Yes, it doubles triggers. The you still have to get to combat or or to do combat damage or something. So I think this card is really cool, and it's probably going to be like a fun casual card and a fun you know whatever uh, Saffron Olive has his <laughs> brew goals or whatever. But like in real Magic, this is this is not a thing you can do. Well, I like to push back on that slightly. I mean, what if I just say this is my Lord for a humans deck, mono white humans? I just put this in as my curve topper essentially and i just let it double up my thraben inspectors double up my luminarch aspirants the interaction with thalia's lieutenant is pretty intriguing like if i play some one drop lieutenant on turn two i, I now have a one one lieutenant play delny that should trigger the lieutenant twice so it's now up to three three so i've gotten my value quote unquote um, even if they stop the delny i've still got a three three out of that any future lieutenants i draw will double trigger their ETB, because they're still 1-1s when that happens. Maybe that's just enough? You know, so here's the problem, Dan. First, you listed two cards that Mono White doesn't play any of. They play zero Thraven Inspectors, and they play zero Aspirants. So already we're saying, okay, this card is good enough. We're going to alter the structure of Mono White, and that might be true. And then second of all, there is no Mono White Humans deck anymore. It does not exist. It has been totally replaced by Convoke, uh, and the Amalia deck farms it. So Mono White just doesn't exist, period. So, yeah, again, this card is really cool. I mean, it does a bunch of super cool stuff. It's just like the way it interacts with the format as it currently exists is is pretty tough. You can maybe play it in the Amalia deck <laughs> if you if you like. Mm, no, I don't like that. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe what you're saying is that because Mono White doesn't exist, there's less competition. There's a, a chance to rebuild it stronger, right? We can build it back better with... Um, I don't quite know what the diagnosis is for why Mono White is no longer a thing. But yeah, if Delny is pushing us towards a different suite of creatures, like more, what's that th three mana 2-2 two, two that exiles things? Brutal Cathars, right? Sylvan, or a Skyclave Apparition? 
Yeah, I was thinking Britain Cathar because it's, it's a human, but yes, yeah, Werefox, Vanguard, Skyclad Apparition works as well. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that should trigger off this. Whether that actually adds up to anything, I'm not sure. I do love this card with Ninja the Deep Hours, which is my, one of my favorite cards of all time. <laughs> Doubles the trigger on the damage, makes Ninja harder to block. If you Ninja a Thraven Inspector, you replay it later. So I will be playing a lot of this in casual. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, next up, Forensic Researcher 2 and a blue Merfolk Detective. It's a 1-3. Tap to untap another target permanent you control. Tap and collect evidence three to tap target creature you don't control. That latter ability is not so good, but the first ability on a merfolk reminds us right away of Kioro's follower, which has uh, the same text. So now we have more copies of it. That shouldn't matter too much, except that we just got that new enchantment that goes infinite with Kioro's follower. Um, Deep root. What's the name, David? Deep root pilgrimage. Deep root pilgrimage. Thank you. Deep root pilgrimage. You know, it's in the notes. I wrote, I wrote it down. That's that's why I'm not struggling to find it. I do see that. I was just hamming it up for the sake of the back and forth of the show. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> okay, so tell me your thoughts on that combo. The problem I found with that is that if you don't hit deeper pilgrimage, this card just doesn't do very much. So I think you need a second thing that the untapping does. I don't know what that'll be, but... Um, I had multiple times I had two KRS followers in play. If you don't have Deep Root Pilgrimage or a way to tutor up Deep Root Pilgrimage, then, you know, what what are we doing here? So I think we need to, like, rethink the whole deck. Um, if there's a cheap or efficient ways to tutor up the enchantment, that's the most important thing now that we've got eight copies of these that we can hit with Coco or whatever else. Yeah. Agreed. All right, what's next? Hunted Bone Brute. Two and a black skeleton beast. 6-2 Menace for 3 mana. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent creates two one one white dog creature tokens. And then when it dies, each opponent loses 3 life. And it has Disguise 1 to black. So if you don't want the come into play ability, you can play this face down for 3. You can attack and then pay 1 to black. And you've now hit your opponent in theory with a 6-2 a Menace creature. And then when it dies, it even has upside, right? If your opponent lightning bolts it later, then they lose 3 life. My problem with this card is you can do all this chicanery. Maybe you can play cards that cancel its trigger. We talked about um, the Gargoyle or whatever yesterday. This still just dies to stomp. <laughs> They'll pay three life just to two for one you. That's fine. So I think unless you're specifically playing in fight rigging, uh, this is not a card I'm interested in at all. Yeah, six twos actually suck. So there's not like a huge payoff to that. However, if I did hit them once, right? And maybe I didn't do any chicanery. Maybe I just played the disguise cost. So paid my three, got my two, two, ward two. On a subsequent turn, found my window when they were tapped down so I could get my hit in. I have dealt six. I've got three more damage coming from the trigger. I mean, that's half their life almost. Maybe that's something. That's probably nothing. As I say that out loud, that doesn't sound that good. I don't like playing three mana cards that don't have any come into play ability that die to stomp. That's just how I feel about it. I'm not, I'm just not going to consider them. Okay, two other considerations. With Corpses of the Lost, this is the biggest skeleton, right? 7-2 Menace Haste. I mean, that that's pretty freaking huge. Now, you get into the problem that the dogs immediately hunted down, which is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> that kind of sucks. I don't know if I want to actually 
disguise the semi-corpse of the lost deck. But this is the biggest skeleton to our skeleton search. You know, America's got skeleton talent. Our search continues for this. <laughs> right. Also, just like making two dogs, that can be a benefit in some niche scenarios. Right? Kind of like the hunted phantasms, like giving your opponent random tokens and then killing them for profit. This technically does that. I don't know if off the top of my head if there's any attractive things in Pioneer that pay us off for that. The the four mana six six flyer that has oil counters does two damage to your opponent for each creature that dies. Mm. Okay, so how about that? I mean that's that's seven life right there. So we have to have a three mana card in play and then a four mana card in play, and they have to not stomp this, and then they have to block with the skeletons after we play the six six. There used to be a um a card that like did damage to our opponents, like when creatures come into play, like the the two and a red three three menace that got banned in standard. Like when a creature comes into play, an opponent loses life. Yeah. And then I think like Saffron Olive built a deck where he like doubled the triggers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe this is another card you could fit in there that like gives your opponent's creatures. Because there's a, a two mana artifact that gave your opponent like three O one plants. You could play this along with that. So like you double your trigger for your hunted bone brute, you give them four creatures, and then you double the trigger for the damage. So they end up taking eight damage. Hmm. It was kind of a cool deck. I'll have to look it up. I, I know Saffron Olive liked playing it a lot. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was called. I think he called it Dagger something. The artifact was a dagger. It was like a two-mana equipment. But when it came into play, your opponent got like two O2 plants. Dowsing Dagger from Ixalan. Original Ixalan. Dowsing Dagger. Yeah, exactly. All right. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> a fine addition to the, the Dowsing Dagger deck. Or the skeleton. We're getting deck. pretty deep into the. <laughs> yeah. Saffron Olive will run that sometime and he'll let us know if it's any good. Next up, Cranko, Baron of Tin Street. Two and a red legendary goblin. 3 3 haste. Tap, sacrifice an artifact to put a plus one plus one counter on each goblin you control. Separately, whenever an artifact is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, so that's yours or theirs. You may pay red. If you do, create a 1-1 red goblin creature token that gains haste until end of turn. The interaction between this and the tap sack, the timing actually works out the way you want, right? So you can tap, sacrifice an artifact, and that immediately, the way the triggers stack, you will get your goblin token first if you choose to pay for it. And then the goblin will become a 2-2, if that's relevant. Base stats 3-3 haste for 3 is okay. I mean, it's not horrible. So... It's not failing the tests on stats. It might just be like not quite doing enough. Like I don't really want to pay a three mana for a creature that's just going to tap for marginal value in a synergy deck. Maybe I'm not thinking big enough. Yeah, it seems like, and again, it puts plus one plus one counters on things. So Agatha's Soul Cauldron is always something we should think about. Oh. The goblin decks that exist right now in Pioneer and Modern, A, are not very prevalent, and B, don't really have any artifacts. Maybe the Modern one plays for Other Vile, so they don't have a lot of native artifacts. I was trying to find goblins that brought artifacts along with them. There's a few, like, Wily Goblin that comes into play with a treasure. Um, goblin Kaboomist is just, like, hilariously unplayable. It, it makes an artifact every upkeep. It feels like this is part of something. I just don't, like, maybe we just don't have the cards yet that would use it correctly well what do you think about uh gleeful demolition and or cold author rebirth i mean that's going to be playing small artifacts and potentially blowing them up 
for a bunch of goblins, right? So now if I've done that once, if I've lethal demolitioned once, I've already got three goblins in play for Krenko to buff. Future copies will make four goblins each and buff all my goblins. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Like, is that strong enough to break into the Convoke deck, or is it just doing a different thing? Mm, I think it has to be its own deck. Okay. Because you really want this to just have goblins all over the place. You don't, you're not going to want to play Thraben Inspector in that deck. And timing-wise, if I just have a treasure token in play and I sack the treasure, can I essentially convert any treasure to a 1-1 goblin? Is that how this works? Yeah, I believe so. So is that attractive? Or are treasures just more valuable than this? Slash too hard to come by? Well, not necessarily. I mean, this can also just sack the treasure. I think tapping this to like once or twice is kind of the key. Like you just get a big enough board and then you just kind of go ham on them. Mm. I mean, it basically reads like tap, pay a red, make a 2-2, and buff your whole team every turn. I mean, that that's pretty interesting. He grows himself too. Yeah. Not sure where in the Krenkel power rankings this Krenkel falls. All previous Krenkos have been pretty good, like, stats-wise. And they've also haven't quite made it for Constructed. So I feel like the Baron of Ten Street is going to have the same fate, but he's a cool design. <laughs> it could be. But the, you always see the potential. Like, oh, if this exact scenario happens, this card is so sweet. And they give us the tools. Like, it's hasty. Like you say, it's a 3-3 haste. It does pump itself. Like, all these things they could have kind of cheated on, they, they gave to us. And now it's up to us to, like, solve the riddle. Mm -hmm. All right, next up, Lamplight Phoenix. One red red, three three Phoenix, flying. When Lamplight Phoenix dies, you may exile it and collect evidence for. If you do, return it to the battlefield tapped. Yeah, I really like this card, actually. I think it's just, like, a really good fair threat. A 3-3 flyer for three is pretty good. Um, a 3-3 flyer for three that's, like, very difficult to kill if you build your deck correctly is even better. You don't have to bring all the Phoenixes back, right? You just need to keep the one around. You can exile other Phoenixes that get killed. If you Coco into this again, for instance, you at least are getting a 3-3 that absorbs a full kill spell. Um, it doesn't have the like obvious synergy like the other one does where you never want to cast it. This is a card you're actually just going to naturally cast, naturally put into play. Altered Dementia is actually a really cool card with this. You could build a deck that just mills your opponent out. If you just already had four, if you can already collect evidence four, you're going to mill three every time you sack it to Altered Dementia. Oh. Just mill yourself over and over again. Each time you collect, as long as one of your, your three cards on top add up to four uh, CMC, we'd, we'd have to run the math on that. But you could imagine if you played enough MDFCs that that'd be like borderline trivial. Yeah, I, I think this card's very interesting. Wait, does that actually does that actually kill them? Well, no, you have to mill yourself over and over again. You mill yourself over and over again. You're bringing back maximum one phoenix every time because it has to like die from play. So you've milled your own library, hopefully. And then what happens? I tap blue blue, play a one three. <laughs> that has a come to play trigger. All right, we double that trigger with Delny. <laughs> we get win the game twice. <laughs> Yeah, we to pull the trigger. <laughs> exactly. Good, good. All right. Uh, what's up next? I don't know if this is a real name. It says Engine Engineer is a translation, but I think that's wrong. Um, but it's two and a blue for a Vidalkin Artifact Detective. Excuse me, Artificer Detective. Whenever you cast an artifact spell, investigate. 
And activated abilities artifacts you control cost one less to activate. This can't reduce the mana in that cost to less than one. So functionally, every time you cast an artifact, um, you get a clue. Similar to Psy Master Thopter. So every time you cast a, an artifact, you get a Thopter. And then this reduces the, um, the cost on those clues by one. So I have here, as a note, it's sort of a combination of Tezzeret Betrayer of Flesh, something that lets you turn your clues into cards very easily, and Psy Master Thopterus. It lets you turn your artifacts in hand into additional artifacts in play. Well, that's sobering analysis. I was very excited about this until you mentioned that Psy Master Thopterus already did this, and that has not been good. I think the Thopters are better than the clues. It pains me to say that. Even with, I mean, gosh, that cost reduction is so juicy, David. My clues cost one, and then my Enigma Jewel can pop two clues at once. My Oban Hawker can pop two clues at once. Play another Enigma Jewel, make another Investigate token. And your Enigma Jewel triggers Engine Engineer to make a clue? <laughs> yes. Well, I also have a yes. note in my thing that says this combines Tezzeret and Psy. <laughs> that uh, we also have like two, three, and three, two mini leagues with those cards. So this should be mm-hmm. its own. It's not only is it two, three in power and toughness, <laughs> it will lead us to playing <laughs> many <laughs> two, three, and three, two leagues. <laughs> curious, curious. <laughs> yeah, they need to print this as a five zero creature, the five zero. But uh, all right, I'll settle for the two, three. <laughs> Next up, Kylox's Volt Charger. One blue red artifact vehicle. It's a four four. Crew two, so three mana four four crew two. That's the baseline, but there's additional abilities. So you can collect evidence six to have Kylox's Volt Strider become an artifact creature until end of turn. So an alternate alternate way to crew it, essentially, by collecting evidence six. Whenever Kylox's Volt Strider attacks, you may cast an instant or sorcery spell from among the cards exiled with it. If that spell will go to the graveyard this turn, instead it goes at the bottom of the owner's library. You do have to pay the mana. That's that's the biggest downside here, right? So there was initially some buzz about, you know, what if I cycle Lurian Revealed and then use that to collect evidence and get a free Ancestral Recall? It's not free. <laughs> You're welcome to do that as long as you pay five for Lurian Revealed, uh, which you won't be doing. So not a free cast, but it is card advantage on... Uh, a decently costed 4-4 four, four, for 3. Yeah, for a second I was like, wow, this card is so crazy. And then, yeah, it's like, oh, you have to pay. I still think I'm going to try this with uh, Boon of the Wishgiver. You can over-collect evidence. So let's say we've cycled Boon of the Wishgiver and we've cast Consider. Okay. When we collect evidence 6, we can select both of them. So we've collected evidence 6 and 6 or more. It's just like crewing. You can over-crew. Mm-hmm. And then we can attack and cast the Consider. And then every time we attack for the rest of the game, eventually we might get to six mana, we could cast the Boon of the Wishgiver. Okay, so you're in that deck, you're willing to play the Boon of the Wishgiver just for the future in which that happens, or just to power up the crew? Yeah, I mean, I think you need to play other cards that work with it. You know, the, the one in a red uh, dude that's in the red-black deck, uh, Inti, right? That's a card that crews... Volt Strider also gives you extra uh, benefits on the the cycling. Um, so I think you need to find ways to get a little extra out of the, the cycle of that ability. I, I think just playing a card that you're planning on always cycling is not good enough. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, next up, Wind Drake. Two and a blue creature, Drake. Two, two, flying. 
Staple, limited card. Whenever you see this in a pack, it's a pretty solid pick. This is about as good as Creature gets for three mana. Wind Drake. Oh no, I'm sorry. Sorry, no. <laughs> we have a new card. Steam Core Scholar, two and a blue creature, weird detective, two two flying, and vigilance. And when Steam Core Scholar enters a battlefield, you draw two cards. Then you discard two cards unless you discard instant or sorcery or a creature card with flying. So that's kind of that thirst for knowledge template. It's either going to be draw two, discard two, or draw two, discard one if you hit the right class. I mean, what the heck? How do you get so much stuff on a three mana two, two? Like, I just feel like a dinosaur when I read cards like this. You know, people are calling this card very mediocre. I love this card. This is one of my favorite cards of the set. It's just, it's just going to be a card that I try all kinds of stuff with. What are you going to try? Well, first of all, if you just play this on four and discard Fiery Temper, you're just up a zillion cards, aren't you? Like, I Fiery Temper, you're Bone Crusher Giant. So now I'm up a full card. I have a card in play that dies to your stomp. That's fine. I killed your Bone Crusher Giant. And then I drew two. <laughs> I mean, that is true, but the Steam Core Scholar is not the only way to draw and discard, right? So I guess why would I want the 2-2 two -two in this scenario? As, instead of any other way to draw and discard. Well, this draws and discards, but actually goes up a card. So that's the thing that's different, right? There's lots of three mana cards that draw a card. And there's many three mana cards that are card neutral and loot. This does both. It can draw a card and loot if you want it to. It can loot two cards if you have Inti in play or something. Um, but it also goes up a card. So if you're, let's imagine a deck that's playing Blood for Bones and Atraxa. This discards Atraxa. But is card positive. So if they have some way of exiling Atraxa, you still played a three mana two two that drew a card. You're up a full card. They they need to interact with your graveyard card, and you're up a card. Like drawing two and discarding one is so much better than drawing a card. I think that's what people are like missing is is how important that is. Do we have any equivalent creatures that we can compare this to? I mean, the Champion of Wits comes to mind. That's draw two, discard two on a crappy body that doesn't matter. Right, so this is a bad body. This body often does not matter. That That is absolutely true. Well, this is better than Champion of Wits, though, at least. Yeah, so two two toughness instead of one. Flying and Vigilance. You know, I don't think the Vigilance <laughs> matters that much. I mean, we could probably gin up a scenario where it matters. Two toughness matters, though. Um, the the flashback on, on Champion of Wits has mattered less as the, as the format has really accelerated. You don't just play out the game and get to seven mana anymore anyway. But this actually goes up a card where Champion of Wits does not. So, I mean, it's like Champion of Wits that discards one less card. Yeah. <laughs> that card would be incredible. <laughs> I mean, that card would have been broken in the uh, standard format it was in. So are you willing to replace the modern age with <laughs> Pioneer Staple of the modern age? Are we going to replace that with Steam Core Scholar? Or is this not unique enough? Although I'm going to play both of them in a Blood for Bones deck with a Traxa. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I'm going to try it in like a blue-red uh, shell or like a Grixis shell. I, I think this card is just like value. You just think, all you have to do is figure out how you're going to beat the unfair decks. Yep. <laughs> ah, gosh. It feels like the exact kind of card that will lead us down the wrong paths. But I like it. I like it. All right. Next up is the Case File Auditor. Um, Approximate translation here, two and a white human detective for a 1-4. When Auditor of Judicial Records, uh, okay, whatever it's called, enters a battlefield, and whenever you solve a case, 
look at the top six cards of your library, you may reveal an enchantment card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom in a random order. Also, you may use mana as if or mana of any color to cast case spells. That's a little bit weird, but basically we're looking at three drop, ETB finds another enchantment. And then the potential to find more enchantments as you solve cases is cool. Um, what do you make of this, David? Yeah, I mean, we normally get like one of these a set, right? Like a three mana thing that looks for whatever type is in the, the set and then can maybe have like some additional trigger. This is actually pretty generous. It doesn't find cases. It finds any enchantment. So that's interesting. Uh, it might actually just be playable in the Enigmatic Incarnation deck just as a card, just like pure value. It replaces itself in the Enigmatic deck 100% of the time. The problem right now is I haven't seen any case that I'm like super in love with uh, and I'm not seeing cases that are easy to solve without bending your whole deck around it, right? There's no just value case that like comes into play, whatever, edicts your opponent. And then if you kind of do the normal thing throughout the game, that case, you know, whatever, does something else and then this would trigger again. So I was hoping we have one more of those like two mana find a, a, a planes and then when you have five lands in play, you know, it does something minor, but it's like they would trigger this again. We don't, we don't have any of those. Well, there is that case of the Shattered Pact. I mean, that's two mana, get a basic land. And then it's actually kind of hard to solve. Yeah, but to turn it on, you need you need five colors. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was thinking, like, I don't know. None of these cases are, like, trivial to solve and give you, like, a minor thing. Case of the Gateway Express needs you to attack with three or more creatures. That's maybe a thing that a card like this could do. Um. You could play the life gain one in here because again, like I said, there's like one, there's single single cards that solve that case by itself. Um, maybe you, you play this with the case of the stash skeleton in a white black like sacrifice list because there is the white black exile, you know, sack of permanent, uh, you know, exile target permanent that flashes back. So something something like that. I, I don't know. This this card is at least worth thinking about. Like a three mana one four in these decks that maybe have combo potential is like a really good way to like pseudo stabilize a board that also replaces itself and can continue to generate card advantage. All right. What's next? All right. A new Taza Taza opulent oligarch one, a white and a black for a death touch two three at the beginning of your end step, investigate for each opponent who lost life this turn. And then whenever a clue you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one white and black spirit creature token with flying. This ability triggers only once each turn. So it has the, abil the, the possible ability when it comes into play to already get that trigger. If you played, you know, whatever, a two-mana flyer. I'm thinking of maybe the lifelink bat that exiles a card from their hand. You know, you hit them for one, you play this, you get a clue. Then the next turn, or if you have a, some free way to sack your clue or something, you get a bat... With Deadly Dispute, you can sack a clue very or a random artifact on their turn very easily. Once you have the bats, it's actually easy, right, to keep triggering Tessa. You just keep getting in there with your little 1-1 one, one flyers. If they don't kill Tessa, you're just generating more clues every turn. So it's like a little engine unto itself. The question to me is just how easy is it going to be to get going? And of course, they had to give it the classic three toughness. <laughs> I mean, I like clues more than most. This makes clues better, but even even there, I don't think this does it for me. Um, feels like a miss, like not being able to get a guaranteed clue out of it. Probably not being able to get a bat out of it the first turn. 
that's just too much. So I'm not high on Teza. Um, she looks cool though. Are there just like free ways to sack clues, like creatures that sack clues, like colon or something? Or is it literally just like the four mana planeswalker that reduces our cost to zero? Yeah, Omen Hawker sacks clues. Enigma Jewel sacks clues. I mean, there's not a bad type to have. Those are the wrong colors for Teza. Um, what is that flesh thing, the two drop you're talking about, the sex artifacts to, you know, get some marginal ability? Oh, yeah. Flesh taker or whatever. I don't know. No, the the two two the two two that can sacrifice a creature or artifact to get a plus one plus yeah, one. Man. Yeah, I mean I don't love that. That's actually kind of good. Where is the clue coming from? Draven Inspector. All right. <laughs> I'm attacking with my yeah. Thra- okay, Draven Inspector. Now we're talking. What if they didn't block the Draven Inspector? Now we have two <laughs> clues. <laughs> anyway, continue. Tomek, Wielder of Law, 1, White, Black, 2, 4, Legendary Creature, Human Advisor, Flying Vigilance. So, decent stats. Affinity for Planeswalkers. I don't know what the heck is going on here. It's a 1, White, Black, so the most reduction you're going to get is 1. So it either costs 3 or it costs 2. Like, why not just say that? <laughs> there are no 2-mana Planeswalkers uh, in Pioneer, so and certainly not in Standard. This is just a baffling. I just this card is not for me. I don't even want to read the rest of it. Whenever an opponent attacks with creatures, if two or more of those creatures are attacking you, and or planeswalkers you control, that opponent loses three life, and you draw a card. I don't know what's going on here. I, th- I feel like this is a commander thing or a flavor thing. Maybe I'm missing something. It's a mythic rare. Yeah, it's strange. It's mythic rare. It's really, really good against blue red phoenix because uh, it blocks phoenix. They're going to attack you with multiple creatures, so you're always going to get the trigger. Um, and they only have four cards in their whole deck that kill it. Now, is Phoenix going to you know, get to play against that enough for this to be good? I, I don't know about that. I guess it's fine against Convoke. They're going to attack you with multiple creatures? Oh, because they have two Phoenixes in play, because they just did it all. <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah, they played into my hands. Or, or, or they have the 1-3. I mean... All right. Yeah, all right. Well, if they attack you with one Phoenix, I just block with this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see this Phoenix deck try to get past my 2-4 flyer now. Not looking so smart now, Lightning X player. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, these, these one black-white cards are a miss for me, and that, that includes this next one here, Treacherous Greed. One black-white instant as an additional cost to cast this spell. Sacrifice a creature that dealt damage this turn. So you can't just sacrifice any creature. It has to be a creature that dealt damage this turn. That's in order to even cast this spell at all. When you cast it, you draw three cards, each opponent loses three life, and you gain three life. So it's a nice payoff, but like three mana draw three has already proven itself to like not really be good enough, in my opinion. Three mana draw three, gated by a very, very tough condition, is I think just so unplayable to me. The fact that it's instant is strange, right? Like Instant card draw is good, but you normally think that because you get to do it on your opponent's end step, but we don't have a lot of creatures that deal damage to our opponent during their end step, so is it so you can like do it in combat? It's very odd. Is it do undying creatures die at the end of combat? Or the the undead, those zombies? Maybe that's why it's there. Oh no, they have to they have to deal three damage. Three minute draw three is really good. I don't agree with that statement. Yeah. Right. 
I'm, three mana draw three is really good. I, I don't I don't agree with that statement, but I agree with you. This is I think asking too much because you're you're basically down the card you're stacking. So this really isn't three mana draw three. It's two cards are being spent to draw the three cards. I'm just gonna stick to deadly dispute and move on with my life. I just <laughs> I don't see this happening. I mean, I guess if I blocked with a creature. The creature somehow survived combat, and I want to kill it anyway. I just, I just don't see it. If I want card advantage, I got many other ways to get that, including this next one here, Cryptic Coat. Cryptic Coat, two and a blue artifact equipment. When Cryptic Coat enters, cloak the top card of your library, then attach the Cryptic Coat to it. So cloak is manifest, but with ward two. Equipped creature gets plus one plus zero oh, and can't be blocked. Okay, so you're you're getting a three two unblockable manifested card with ward two when you cast cryptic coat for the first time. For the first time, because you can also pay one and a blue at any time you want to return the cryptic coat to its owner's hand. When you do that, your cloaked card remains in play. So you're just like up up quote unquote <laughs> a two two board two and then you can get another one the next turn i mean that's tidy little engine you'll never run out of stuff to do with this um hopefully your opponent just can't beat two twos and three twos <laughs> i don't know I mean, is this like the kind of thing you can spend your mana on in 2024 i mean i i want it to be i, I i'm very intrigued by this card right it's obviously something you could bring in quote unquote for the grind matchups <laughs> um but is this like a main deck card we can build around? It feels like maybe it's a little too slow, but man, it's so sweet. It doesn't even have an equip cost. So the only way you can move it around is if you have specific cards that interact with that or... Um, I did not realize that. Yeah, that's basically it. Or you, or you put it back in your hand and put it into play. There's that one in a white cat legend that does stuff whenever a creature becomes equipped. Doesn't it like make another cat? Oh, Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some Kemba, right? So, like, maybe that's, like, yeah. It's one in a white. I think it's a Kemba. What does she do when a thing becomes equipped? Oh, not what I thought it did. All right, ignore that. Move <laughs> on with your life. What about uh, just blinking it with teleportation circle? Every time you blink it, you manifest a new card. Um, that'd be, like, a blue-white deck that's already in... You have a note here about Omen Hawker. Uh, that's another way to return it to your hand. I don't know. It seems <laughs> abusable, quote unquote, but I just I just don't know how much these two twos are worth. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is if you're going to blink it, I'd rather just blink Chariot, which is, you know, one more mana, so pretty similarly costed and like just gives you a lot more value immediately and value for free, no mana each turn if they can't stop it. What if I just say, okay, 3-2 unblockable with ward is a decent attacker. Um, so I'll just put this in an aggressive deck. Then at some point they'll have to kill that creature and I'll just grind him out with this. Like, is that plausible? Ah, I don't know. Could be. Also, this works with um, like ninjas, right? You, you have this unblockable creature that they're probably not thinking about. Mm needing to deal with this actually puts the card back in your hand so you can hit non creature cards and get value out of them right you functionally are drawing a card okay when it, the the morph creature come morph creature comes back to your hand as a new card i know there's just a lot of like angles on this i don't know exactly what it is it's it's raw power level is not high it's 
Sweet Factor is off the charts. Yeah. There are not that many cards in this set that actually perform cloaking as, as an action. Cloaking can interact strangely with old cards, like if you have a Phyrexian Dreadnought, for example, or a Croxa, if we want the Pioneer legal equivalent. You know, you could potentially set this up, uh, much like Cloudform, to do something sweet like that. Alternately, if if you were tired of paying the regular disguise cost, but you wanted the the benefits of like the Viachino Pyromancer we talked about last time, um, not not the Pyromancer, that that one that flips up and does damage, right? This could potentially randomly hit a disguise yeah. card, <laughs> your six two skeleton dog or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, it could hit the six two seven two can't be blocked. The dogs can't do anything. As <laughs> <laughs> well, throw them off the scent. <laughs> All right, uh, we move on. What's next? <laughs> Undergrowth Recon. One green green enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, return target card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Simple card, really elegant design. So it sort of has a red and six kind of feel. Each turn, if you have a land in your graveyard, you get to add it to play. Uh, doesn't work like Ren and Six where you can like recycle Boseju over and over again and kind of get those, you know, Chisler type of wins. But it's actually a ramp card. It's just very clunky. So you play it on turn three. On your fourth turn, if you have a land in your graveyard, it comes into play tapped. So it doesn't actually ramp you to five. It ramps you to six, I guess. <laughs> um, mm. e- even if you're trying to, I know you want to, you know, buy back demolition fields over and over every turn. It comes into play tap, so you have to wait a whole turn cycle to use it again. So I think this card is just a little too slow. Hmm. Yeah, so I agree with you. In Pioneer, it's just not worth the trouble. Thinking about the modern line you're outlining, my turn one, play Utopia Sprawl on a fetch land or whatever. Turn two, play this. I'm not up anything yet. Turn three, I've got a tapped fetch land back, so I've ramped, but haven't actually increased my mana yet. But I'm set up. I mean, I'm I'm now just ramping and going card up every turn. Like, I'm going to be way ahead, quote-unquote way ahead. Um, like, under those conditions, can I just engineer some other way to win? Like, is that just like powerful enough? Like you're you're pointing out that this is better than Ren and Six in that scenario. It is way better than Ren and Six in that scenario. Well, hmm. Do I need two fetch lands? Well, the thing return? is, like in the mid to late game, Ren and Six. In the mid to late game, Ren and Six is only good because it threatens ultimate. Right? This never does that. So all this ever does is just keep putting fetch lands back into play. But it ramps. Like it, you're, you'll have double the mana your opponent has, which Ren and Six does not do. Right. And then and then what are we doing? I guess it helps you like trigger all three tr- things of Omnath over and over again. Because like you have a fetch line from your previous turn, that, but this fetches a fetch line in your upkeep. Just like dome your opponent for four at a time. I mean, if the game is going to last forever, this is super powerful. The game is not going to last forever, and maybe that's why this is just not going to make it. But I do want to acknowledge how stupidly powerful it is when it works. And with that, are there ways to sacrifice lands for things like we can sack a land for two life, right? With the uh, zero mana artifact. Are there other like things I'm thinking of in which format in modern or pioneer? 
Modern. Yeah, always modern. I mean, there's Urza's... Like, Urza's Saga yeah. is a land that, like, helps you win the game. It's just, like, so slow. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to find anything better than a fetch land. I'll put it that way. Um, plenty of lands end up in the graveyard in modern. That's not the problem. The problem is, like, not dying to other stuff while waiting for your value to accrue. Right. Right. <laughs> But anywhere that Ren and Six is You can't good, just explain to your opponent. I have more yeah. lands in play than you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Next up, War Leader's Call. One red-white enchantment. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one. We call that a glorious anthem. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, War Leader's Call deals one damage to each opponent. So I think Anthem effects have not been think? super strong. Like, Usually they have to be attached to a creature. If if they're not, they take up that oh-so-precious slot on the deck, which boosts our creatures, but doesn't actually produce creatures itself. So that, to me, already means this is like fighting uphill. The second clause, a free ping whenever creatures enter. I mean, ah, gosh. It's got a clear plan, right? Get a bunch of little creatures in play, buff them, and have them deal damage. I just think the price is wrong and the card type is wrong. Like these cards have historically not worked. I agree that these cards have historically not worked. I like that this is good at both times, though. You can play your two mana, you know, make two one ones on two, and then this afterwards is good because you get to attack for four. If you play this first and you draw your token generator later, that's good too because it gets to ping and then it pumps them. So I, I think that adds a little bit of... It still isn't a token generator to your point, Dan, but it does let you draw the cards in either order, which is always part of the problem. Mm. Also, I want to point out that this does five damage with O'Hare, which is freaking sweet. And if you have O'Hare plus other token generators, uh, you kill your opponent very, very quickly. Oh, that's a. I guess that's an on curve play, right? Turn three, Warrior's Call. Turn four, O'Hare. Oh yeah. Okay. And I mean, if you want to just if you let's if you're playing against a goldfish here, O'Hare plus like Ornithopter, Ornithopter is fifteen. To, you know what I mean? Like. Hmm. I mean, if you just have a Karizov, all right, that makes a Ragavan. Okay, Warrior's Call. Turn three. You hit for five right there. Turn four, play O'Hare. That's five more damage. Attack with Karizev. Regavan comes in, does another five. They're down to five already. Five damage coming through in the red zone. That's potentially a turn four kill. I mean, it all sounds great with O'Hare. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so we're 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 winning. We're winning you over here. I just that's just all I'm hearing. Three cards. Kill on turn four. I, yeah, I don't know. Do you like Karizev? I mean, that's it's got to be a creature that's like naturally spits out extra creatures. Like, I don't really want to have to play Ornithopters. I guess I'll put it that way. Well, you can play a Nimpakal is kind of a cool creature. You can mm -hmm. play um, the the X4 uh, Legend. You can play a four mana Planeswalker that makes tokens. Mm -hmm. You know, the, I think there's um, the one with escape minuses to make two one ones. All right, all right, all right. Maybe we'll try it. <laughs> fine, fine. Yeah, come on. Let's play. Let's put it. 
O'Hare is cool. We haven't played enough O'Hare decks. Yeah. I think I was just so put off by the Draneth Stinger. Oh, I think that... Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, don't... Come on. <laughs> that was your fault. That's the, don't blame this card for Draneth Stinger. I'm just done. I'm just done with dealing one damage at a time. But five at a time. Yes. But all right. You... Yeah. Okay. Now we're back. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. All right, we are done with the threes. On to the fours. On to the fours, people. Let's since we're in the Boros world, let's talk about a little Boros mythic rare legend, Agris Kos or Agris Kos, the Spirit of Justice. Two, a red and a white for a spirit detective. Two, four, double strike vigilance. When Agris enters the battlefield or attacks, so it has the Titan text. Choose up to one target creature. If it's suspected, exile it. Otherwise, suspect it. So you can do a lot of cute things with this. It can come into play, suspect their creature so they can't block our three drop. It can suspect itself when it attacks if they only have one blocker, right? So um, it immediately gets menace. But I think the real uh, uh, note here is how easy is it going to be for this to turn into like a super necrotol? Um we haven't seen any cards on curve. You're already up at four mana. We've looked at all of them. There's no card on curve that we want to play that just suspects our opponent's creature while being useful to us. So that was the first thing I was looking for. And the second thing is how easy is it to give this haste? Because if it comes into play and attacks, I think it's, if you can give it haste, it's way better than the Exert Dragon. Um, and so that's that's something I'd, I'd be looking at. You know, we can walk through the options there, but I think this has to be exiling a creature when it when it comes into play. I retract what I was saying last time about the suspected mechanic not being that interesting. Um, they're finding designs that do cool stuff. Like the scapegoat was very flavorful. This one being able to distribute suspect on both your creatures and their creatures is super intriguing. So the line you're describing, turn three, reckless storm seeker and a turn four Agris Coast, you could potentially suspect two things now do you think it's better to suspect their creature so it can't block and then finish it off with the exile or is it better to like use your attack trigger to suspect Agris Kos himself so that you're just getting through like you've, you've functionally taken their creature off the board for racing purposes it can't block and then you've made yourself a menace creature as well like they'll never block at this point if that ever happens um yeah obviously it depends what the situation is if they have two creatures back, then uh, probably giving both your creatures, you know, hitting one and then giving menace to this is probably useful. Um, but I think a lot of times you're just going to be like, they play Shieldred, you play this and give it haste and exile Shieldred and you are way ahead. Also, because it has double strike, the Stormseekers like plus one, plus O is like really good here. <laughs> like that curve is, is a very interesting natural curve I'm interested in playing. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I mean, it's super sweet. It's four mana, so this probably won't actually happen. <laughs> Just to preface all this by saying this, we will probably not actually do this um, because all this stuff doesn't actually... Oh, I will be doing this. Oh, you will? Okay. All right. Well, let me know how it goes. <laughs> so there's a card. You know this card. You're, you're going to you're, you're gonna have to indulge me. You know this card. One in a red, two, one. Tap it, make two colorless mana. And if that mana is used to play a creature card, that card gets haste. Yeah. Do you know this card? Generator Servant? Yeah, Generator Servant. I've been dying to play this card with the uh, the boar, three red red for the 6-6 six, six Trample. Okay. 
The raised boar. And this is the missing piece I've been wanting for that deck. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Ilarg. Yeah, exactly. So so we, we just described a card that gives haste plus a Stormseeker. Ilharg playing this card for free if it gets to attack. If this is the card I have in my hand instead of Ilharg, just playing it and hasting it is actually worth the uh, spending my mana from the from the uh, generator servant. Um, I, I'm excited to try this deck finally. Like I finally have the pieces I, I need to uh, to assemble my my deck. Yes. Okay, I'm going to support you on this. I cheer your efforts. It doesn't sound like that's actually going to win, <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just like vastly underestimating uh, how strong the raised boar is and how sweet Agroskos is. Well, we got to find out. We're not going to know if we don't actually put it in a deck and cast the spells. We can hate ourselves afterwards. That's fine. All right, next up, among the fours, gosh, Ansrog the Quake Mole. Two red green legendary creature mole god. Mole god. Eight four. Alright, so we can kind of stop here and just take stock of what, what I just said. A four mana eight four. We've been talking about fight rigging or stuff that, you know, has base power six, base power seven. You know what that works with um Great Henge or Galta. Um usually that's attached to some hideous drawback so let's keep reading and see what the hideous drawback is for ansrag the quake mole eight four whenever ansrag the quake mole becomes blocked untap each creature you control after this combat phase there is an additional combat phase what and then activated ability three red red green green so seven total ansrag must be blocked each combat this turn if able okay so there's no drawback whatsoever it's just an eight four for four um and if they don't want to take eight, if they are so audacious that they actually block you, uh, you get to untap and just like attack again with everything, including Ansrug. So, yes. Initial analysis is we can we can group it with the fight rigging stuff with the Great Henge stuff, and it, it fits there. Um, you've got a note here about Voldaren Thrillseeker. Uh, okay, so that, that play pattern would be Play your Ansrag, play the Thrill Seeker, buff it to 10 power. It attacks. If they if they take 10, they're just dead. Um, if they block, you untap and just attack again. Like, what, what the heck? Am I misreading this? Like, what? I must be missing something. Yeah, it's like, there's two... I mean, uh, the, the second ability is, is flavor text. Mm -hmm. But yeah, fine. It has two positive abilities. It's better than nothing, I guess. But that first ability is insane. <laughs> and yeah, the Thrill Seeker thing is crazy, right? Like... We play Sylvan Carry added on two, this on three. It actually dodges a lot of removal. And then if we have Thrill Seeker minimum, I guess they can kill it in response. But I mean, if they if they can't kill it in response, they almost don't have an option. It has six toughness, so it just either like mows through all their creatures until it eventually dies if they have to block it with like Bone Crusher Giant and <laughs> Fable of the Mirror Breaker. <laughs> Is it just a trade? I mean, it just it, it's Something must be off here. Uh, this is this is just a crazy card. So when you do that line with Thrillseeker, you would have a 10 power Quake Mole. If they don't have six untapped power, they're just dead, right? Like if they can't actually kill this by blocking, yeah, they they're going to take 10 plus the fling. Yep. <laughs> what the heck? Uh, all right. 
I mean, maybe. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, you can kill. You can kill this. Yeah. So, I mean, there's. Yeah. Maybe we're taking the wrong lessons away. Like maybe what this is trying to tell us is that vanilla creatures, and this is pretty vanilla apart from that blocking scenario. Blocking is not that common these days. It's just a vanilla eight four for four. And maybe they've learned that you can just put any stats you want on vanilla creatures and they're not going to really be that powerful. So maybe this is actually bad. Like it's still a four mana. That's kind of a lot. Well, we're going to have to find out because the, the fact that we just outlined a turn four line where we aren't playing any bad cards is pretty thrilling to me. <laughs> well, we hope we're not playing any bad cards. We don't know if Anzrag is bad or not. <laughs> I guess my question is, do I need more? I mean, they're going to have to show us. Do I, do I need more from this? Like, is just an eight power creature for four enough to be relevant in, in Constructed? Or do I need some extra ability? An ETB or some more synergy? Does it have to unlock my... Great Henge type thing. I do think you do need one of those things. I think you need like the Great Henge or the Fight Rigging or the Voldaren Thrill Seeker. Because um, otherwise it's like, yes, it's a huge amount of power, but the clock is actually not that bad, right? It, it, it can't kill you by itself until turn six or whatever, turn seven. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it dominates creature combat, but there aren't, there's isn't a lot of creature combat, right? Like mm -hmm. that's just that's just not how the game is played these days. Yeah. All right, what's next? All right, another very powerful gruel four drop legend. Yaris, Roar of the Gods, two a red and a green, just like our previous friend. Centaur Druid Legendary Creature 4-4. Four, four. So four less power. Other creatures you control have haste. And then <laughs> Additional abilities, of course. Whenever one or more face-down creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card. And then, whenever a face-down creature you control dies, return it to the battlefield face-down under its owner's control, if it's a permanent card, then turn it face-up. So if we just imagine a normal play pattern, we play a three-mana uh, face-down card, it has Ward 2. I play Yaris, and I attack with this 2-2. Two -two. Either you need to block and kill it, which might turn on, you know, I might get to get some crazy, powerful, you know, expensive creature into play or some crazy flip up into play. Or you need to let it hit you. And if you take two damage, I get to draw. So it, it's an interesting card just in that basic scenario, right? Turn one elf, turn two mystery <laughs> card, turn three this. And then there's an infinite combo that um, I saw online. I Saffron Olive is the first one who mentioned it, but I don't know who came up with it. I don't want to take credit for anyone. Ash Cloud Phoenix has a really interesting ability. When it gets flipped up, it does two damage to both players. And then when it dies, if it's flipped up, it comes back into play face down. So if you have a sack outlet, I'm putting Goblin Bombardment here because at least breaks the symmetry of both players taking two damage each cycle. Um you just kill them, right? So you turn two Goblin Bombardment, turn three Ashcloud Phoenix face down, turn four Yaris, sacrifice face down Ashcloud Phoenix, do one to your opponent. It comes back into play, flips up as a 4-1, does two damage to both players. You sack it to Goblin Bombardment. It comes back face down, repeat, repeat, etc. Okay, that, that's pretty fascinating. Ashcloud Phoenix... 4-1 flying for 4. When it dies, return it to the battlefield face down. It has morph for 6. And then that ability dealing 2 when it turns face up. So if that's my turn 3 morph, 
that's still compatible with Yaris. So I, I follow up with Yaris turn three. Hopefully they assumed my morph had wards. They didn't stomp it. Um, I attack. They don't want me to draw the cards, so they. Well, you can't. Goblin bombardment is is a is a modern. Play. No, no. I'm just I'm imagining just the just the, the interaction between Phoenix and Yaris. Leave the third piece out for a sec. I just want to see if this is quite good enough. Oh, I see. Okay. I attack with my Phoenix. Okay. They're going to block because they don't want me to draw a card. So I lose my Phoenix. It comes back um, face down. Then it gets flipped face up by Yaris. Now it's the 4-1 is dealt two damage. So I have a 4-4 and a 4-1 flying. That's kind of like infinitely recursive. <sighs> hmm. But that's not a combo yet. So I don't think that's quite good enough. Um, the third piece. Is there a third piece besides Bombardment? This Pioneer Legal? I mean, the sack outlets for free are the white-black creature. We described that earlier. There's the two and a black, 3-2 uh, with escape that makes an 0-1 goat. That sacks for free. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't think of another one off the top of my head. Those are the two. There's a white, there's another white-black creature that's worse that sacks a creature for free to give itself protection from a color. Okay. Um, so the Phoenix does do damage to both players. So it, that combo only works if you're finding a way to do extra damage in the middle of there, or if you have more life than them, and it has to be more than one life more than them. So the thing holding Yaris back is just the general weakness of playing cards face down. Three mana is just like too much to do this as a, as a main plan. Thinking about the other ways to get face down creatures like cloaking or manifesting if there's something like that that can just spit out a bunch of face-down creatures so that when Yaras lands, you, you've already got a bunch of uh, disguised creatures ready to go. I don't think that card exists, but... Well, I mean, the cloak makes yeah the creature unblockable. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I mean, that seems pretty good to me. Okay. Just like if you, I mean, if Yaris comes down and you hit with the cloak and you do three and draw a card, like okay, they can kill Yaris. That's fine, but that that's already pretty good. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. The other thing you can do is play Yaris first, right? Turn two again, Sylvan carry out it or whatever two mana ramp spell you want. Turn three Yaris, and then whatever you play next um, has haste, right? So that's that's quite powerful. That's that Stormseeker kind of ability we were describing with some of these other cards. Okay, next up is Detective's Bag. Two, a blue and a red artifact. When it enters the battlefield, investigate twice. And you can tap it to make a 1-1 Thopter artifact creature token with flying. You can activate only if you sacrifice an artifact this turn. So this is a Dan Shaver <laughs> special. It makes three pieces of cardboard when it comes into play, and it can make more as the game continues on its natural course what does, what does this do anything for you i mean it really it does but four mana is just too much that's the term when your your payoff has to happen and this is not a payoff right this is just set up for more goodies in the future pains me to say it on the other hand like maybe if if i've got enough interaction in my enigma jewel omen hawker deck this is plenty of stuff to do there two clues so i'm up just pure value I like it. I like that they're printing cards like this. I just need it to be slightly cheaper. Okay. I can, I can buy that. 
All right, next up is Axbane Ferox. Two green green for a 4-4 beast with death touch and haste. So similar to a famous green card, <laughs> which is four mana for a 4-4. Death touch, haste, a bunch of other abilities. This has ward, collect evidence four. Very unique, very unique ward cost. So I actually think this card is really good. Um, I think people are kind of sleeping on it. Ward four is ward collect evidence for is not trivial and lots of times decks that want to just like binding your axe bay and ferox do not naturally have cards go to the graveyard so it functionally is going to operate like a four mana haste ward or excuse me hexproof creature which they just don't print there's very few creatures with haste and hexproof well, there might be none i haven't checked i mean there are some like giant dinosaurs six or seven drops I guess my concern is that 4-4, even with haste, is just like not quite impactful enough to scare a blue-white player. Um, it doesn't have counterspot protection. It's not impossible to pay the ward cost. Like they, they can play it, and that's the concern. Like If they can just play it, it's like it has no protection whatsoever. But maybe I'm not quite processing how difficult it is to pay that cost. Also, if you're playing four of these in your deck, right? Okay, they can pay it maybe one time. What about the next time? Also, just so people understand the timing here, I target Axebane Ferox with Doomblade. The Warcher goes on the stack. In response, I can activate my Hearse, activate my Ooze, activate my, um, you know, Instant Speed Exile a card from their graveyard. You can cause spell spells to fizzle. So if you think of that like black card that exiles um, a card and either draws or gains three life, that's that's an interesting card with this. Uh, Hearse is a really interesting card with this. Rest in peace being in play if you're sideboarding that in a green-white deck and this it being in play. That's interesting. Gosh. All right. I'm encouraged by your belief and your faith in the 4-4 Death Touch Hastes. I don't see myself actually putting this in a deck, but this seems like the kind of card that if it is indeed well-positioned, it will just start showing up as an option. Um, we'll have to wait and see. So, for better or worse, I mean... The set has a lot of stuff going on in it. Like we've we've had two episodes already. We found a lot of interesting things to talk about. I don't know how many of these are going to be staples. Uh, it looks like we're going to have to have a third installment. We didn't quite get through all of them, um, but we're out of time for today. So we will just have to come back for part three of the mysteries of Karlov Manor. And you know, it's intriguing stuff. Um, encouraged by these build arounds. Any final thoughts, David? Um, I think again. This is much more of a, uh, a brewer set, I think, than like a super powerful set. And I think that's very exciting. I think, unfortunately, much like the last set, a couple of cards are so powerful that they're going to sort of overwhelm how cool I think a lot of these designs are. So far, we'll have to see. I mean, the whole set is not out yet. Yeah, these things all die to no more lives, except the long goodbye <laughs> set. Um, but that's okay, right? We can dream. <laughs> We can come up with our weird crime novelist combos or Ash Cloud Phoenix combos. Fun puzzle to solve. I think I think you're gonna have to start playing decks that have mana. Ma I think you're gonna have to start playing decks that have good enough mana to play multiple of those lands that make your creatures uncounterable. I think that's just the only way you have to. You're gonna have to think about that when you build your deck. All right. Um. All right. We will leave it there, and we will come back with installment number three. Yes. All right. Take care, David. All right. Take care.